Welcome to the 30 and Nerdy Podcast, brought to you by Advertising Expressions, Creative Theater, Akita Express, and Encore Theatrical Company. Visit us online at 30andnerdypodcast.com. Drop us an email at 30andnerdypod at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Become a patron of the show at patreon.com forward slash 30 nerdy podcast thanks for tuning in hope you enjoy the show and now sit back relax and get ready to nerd out with your hosts josh davis and tyler mcdaniel What's up, nerds and nerdettes? This is the podcast where everyone knows your name. Cheers to ya. Cheers to ya. I'm Josh. And I'm Tyler. And this is 30 and Nerdy. And we are coming at you from the Fortress of Nerditude with yours truly, the registered nerd practitioner, the founder of Nerdledge, The Mac. And as always, amazing to be joined by my co-host, the juicy one, the nerdtorious JLD, the PhD of nerdology, Dr. Davis himself. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> for those of you listening, thank you. Thank you for all the shares, the reviews, the subscriptions, the comments, the suggestions. And if you're tuning in for the first time, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, now on Spotify, and wherever you find Podcasts. Spotify too? Right. Everywhere. I didn't know. Moving all up. And if you are a Patreon supporter, thank you. You're awesome. Please be looking out for some exclusive stuff that only our Patreon supporters will be getting. We just sent out a sneak peek of September's lineup to our Patreon supporters, and that was just one tier. We have three tiers of opportunities. Please check out our Patreon, and uh, we will uh, hope to see you... uh, on there and get you some exclusive behind the scenes nerdledge going yeah. on. Um, so last week's episode was weird. It was just me because I had a poor sick little JD. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was wrestling with Nerdrum and I, we talked about SummerSlam 2019. I got to sit down with White Lightning. If you missed that, it's in the archives on the YouTube channel. Please subscribe. Uh, or wherever you listen to podcasts, it's last week's episode. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. Um, speaking of subscribing to the YouTube, we got a contest going on for all YouTube subscribers. If you subscribe, you are entered in a chance to win a package, a, a dinner and show package. It is two free tickets to Encore Theatrical's Madagascar and dinner at Akita, a $10 off gift card to Akita Express right here in Morristown, Tennessee. Thanks to our lovely sponsors. Um, Josh, you can't win. So, sorry. You got all Man. wide-eyed and excited. Yeah. We can't well, win. The Madagascar, it's, it's the junior show, right? Yes, it's, it's like, the junior show. So it's, it's the Encore Young Stars. Yes, and, the Young Stars. You know, don't let that 
dissuade you just because like they're kids. The only difference in one of these shows and a regular encore show or, you know, any adult cast show is that they're kids. Like they are just as talented. Um, Maybe more. Some sometimes more, more so. Uh, people have been on stage with. They're very, very no, good. It's okay, and and you got to see them. Plus, Madagascar, such a funny movie, yeah, energetic. Yeah. I like to move it, move it. I exactly. Yeah. Um, so, thank you for all those subscriptions. We have uh, got quite a few people who have entered. Uh, keep it going. It goes till the end of this month, Lucky and we will you. announce the first week of September. JD. I feel like it's it's been forever since we've done. We're in the fortress, yeah. just the two of us. Yeah, we got you know our waters in front of us. We've got Yoda and the Joker and our coasters uh-huh. and and our our nerd books mm-hmm. and and we're surrounded by the pops. I mean, it feels like forever since we've done it the right way. Yeah, it has been a while, hasn't well, it? You were under the weather last week. I was dying. I think that's not good. I mean, I was. I'm still not 100, percent dude. I'm I'm struggling, um, but. You know, I'm a lot better than I was, and uh, we might have to stop here and there for me to have a little coughing fit, but, you know, it's okay. I, I, I didn't want to, you know, be all sneezy and gross on the, on the show, mm-hmm. so, you know, I had to sit sit out on the wrestling one, which was a mm-hmm. shame because, you know, I love wrestling. and We'll do another wrestling one. Yeah, so. maybe around so WrestleMania just, time. Yeah, we can just talk, but, uh, talk wrestling because I was excited, too, um, but if you were to get me or White Lightning sick, I would have been upset. Yeah. And he's um, kind of scary. So he is kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. um, but he did say, if you see him in public, you're free to lock up with him. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, go right ahead. Yeah. Um, but also, and before that, we did the sit down with the bowlings. Oh, man. Which was awesome. I think, um, I've said this a few times about a few different things, but like this time for sure, my favorite episode. Absolutely my favorite episode. Absolute favorite. Um, the, not just the fortitude that... Sometimes you can get in being a nerd, but just the fortitude of Peyton and yeah, the Bowlings yeah. as a family in general is is amazing. Peyton is definitely an inspiration, absolutely, uh, to a lot of people. So uh, it was a lot of fun to just mm-hmm. sit and and just chat. We you know we we were far uh, far less structured uh, with that yeah. discussion than what what we normally are. You know, we just said, hey, let's just let's just talk about whatever you want. And that's what we did, and you know, it was fun. It was a blast. I it had so was much fun. fun. Like I got educated. Like he knows the C and D list characters of Star Wars, and the E and F. And I, I mean, mean, he showed us one action figure. I was like, when are they in the movie? Yeah, well, it's the Cantina. Cantina. Oh, I, I, I didn't know. Well, it kind of you know just goes past him. The camera pack. <laughs> You have that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, okay. And those are the ones that are worth the most sometimes. It's crazy. You know, but um, <laughs> speaking of that, we are partnered up with Donate Life Tennessee uh, to raise awareness and money for organ donation. Yeah. Um, we are going to be releasing a follow-up Friday based off of just that partnership. Um, and if you go to our Facebook, pinned to the top is all the information on about our partnership and how you can help us uh, raise awareness and donate to this amazing cause, so be looking at that. Um, and at the end of this show, we have a special sponsor for the rest of the season, mm-hmm. and that is Marvel City Comic Con. Yeah. And I got a chance uh, to sit down with Shannon Ray, yep. who is like the the head honcho of Marvel City. Yeah. And uh, got the lowdown on some, you know, a couple of guests. You know, why they moved to Sevierville. This might be the permanent home for a while, and just uh, talked a little bit to him. And he's going to be joining us. 
once every uh, every once in a while leading up to the event. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to spoil it for him, but he did let me in on a little inside his yeah. information. I heard but about it too. Next month is when he's going to announce that. Yeah. So you'll have to tune in next month when we sit down with Shannon. Kind of a uh, but he does have deal. some amazing yeah. wrestling names coming. Yeah. Um, like Nikita Koloff and, and James Storm and Horn Swaggle and stuff like that. Uh, so we're very excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are going to today. What are we talking about, JD? Talking about theater and the theater nerds. Which um, we are. We are. Yeah, we definitely are. So maybe uh, talk about some different shows we've mm-hmm. done, and maybe what theater has sort of meant to our lives, and uh, maybe tell a couple stories. Yeah, a couple fun stories. We have a lot of those. Uh, two. We could do a whole month's worth of our stories. So oh, we're man. just going to talk about the favorites. Yeah. Um, but we will get to all of that after a word from our sponsors. <laughs> Speaking of theater, I wanted to tell you about one of our great sponsors, Encore Theatrical Company. The arts are a vital part of the educational process, which is another key to economic development and improved quality of life. Arts education and opportunities help participants develop skills in critical thinking, goal setting, team building, problem solving, conflict resolution, and craftsmanship. At Encore Theatrical Company, they aren't just dreaming it, they're doing it. Encore Theatrical Company is a volunteer-based regional community theater that uses the power of the arts in live performances, education, and various creative outlets to cultivate and enhance the quality of life in the Lakeway community and the East Tennessee region. There's always something going on at Encore from plays, musicals, camps, classes, community outreach, and most of all, fun. Come see what it's all about here in Morristown, Tennessee, where it's not just theater, it's Encore. Listen, nerds, if you are from Morristown or the surrounding area, you already know about the goodness that is Akita Express for years now. If we've been playing video games, watching wrestling, binging a TV show, watching our favorite movies, or working on a show, you got to know we go to Akita to refuel on some of that nerd energy. Akita Express is a family-owned restaurant where they treat you like family and feed you till you're full. Full service portions and quality at a fast pace. And I recommend the shrimp and chicken combo myself. They honestly believe in providing the best customer service and fast food for a reasonable price. Fresh hibachi grilled food in a matter of minutes. If you haven't tried it, I'm sure they will be able to fix something you will enjoy. 10 out of 10 would definitely recommend. Give Akita Express a try. They're at 3100 East Morris Boulevard right here in Morristown, Tennessee. And when you stop by, let them know that 30 and 30 sent you. All right, nerds. I'm going to talk nerdy to you. Now, this is the theater edition of Talk Nerdy. So, kind of like last week, it's not one word with nerds. It is some definitions, some terms in the theater world that we as thespians may know, but the general audience, they might not. The theater lingo. Theater lingo, if you will. So, the first one is called 10 out of 12. Some days during Tech Week, uh, some of those days will be de- designated a 12-hour work day. Ten of those hours will be spent working, with two hours allotted for meals and, of course, breaks, like uh, Take 10. Thank you, 10. 
Um, that's also a little sub word. You say thank you to everything the director says to you. So, like, take a lunch. Thank you, lunch. You know? Take five. Thank you, five. Yeah. Um, it's just a professional uh, courtesy, if you will. So, ten out of twelve. Ten of the hours will be spent working, however, you have twelve hours that day. Um, we've had a couple of days close to that in our theater life. Uh, yeah, if I've been uh, the boss of the show, like, uh, you know, the director... Uh, my day was longer than that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get to those stories. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, the second definition is sitz probe. Now, sitz probe, which we've been through a lot of those, uh-huh. is a German word that describes the first time the performers sit and run through the full score with the orchestra. Time is taken to incorporate the two elements until the music director is satisfied. It's always a very exciting day. It is. Uh, because especially, that's when you kind of start to see, okay, this thing's coming together. Yeah, and especially like if it's uh, like a rock show, like you know we did Rock of Ages a few years ago, and you get you know the guitars and the drums and you know, that was rock music. A fun, sits that's probe. a fun. That sits was probe. a fun day because mics were all lined up and each person would walk up when it was their turn to sing. That was fun. We got to you know play rock and roll for the day yeah. and like sing Journey and stuff. It was Absolutely, a lot of fun. that was a lot of fun. That was a fun show. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, your third term is ghost light. Uh, now, this is more of like a vintage superstition, a vintage thought. You don't see it a lot in modern theaters today. Um, a ghost light, before the entire theater is closed for the evening, all lights except for one single exposed incandescent bulb are left on stage for practical purposes to allow the first person in the next day to see what they're doing. For superstition purposes, it is to give the ghosts who inhabit the theater some light to perform by. Ooh. No, um, last was September, October, um, I took a tour of the Bijou with Madison. Mm-hmm. And they have a ghost light there that yeah. stays on. Uh, and they told stories about this place is, you know, it was a ghost tour of the Bijou, and it was so, really cool. I don't know if I told you this when you did that, but years ago, when I was in, like, the 7th or 8th grade, I got to go see a play there. It was an original play called The Ghosts of the Bijou. And really? they told the stories of, you know, the you know, legends of the, the ghosts that inhabit the Bijou Theater. Uh, yeah. That's cool. I don't remember much about it, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was that's pretty awesome, man. And that's the Bijou in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. If you are in the area or if you're taking a trip this way, definitely check out the Bijou. Even if there's a show, it's beautiful. I saw Kevin Smith there a few years ago. Really? Yeah. The legend. Yeah. I sneezed and he said, bless you, right in the middle of the show. It was glorious. <laughs> <laughs> Silent Bob said, bless you. He did. Um, the fourth term is break a leg, which... We'll get into the superstitions behind break a leg. To break a leg is an archaic slang for bowing or curtsying. Placing one foot behind the other and bending of the knee breaks the line of the leg. In theater, pleased audiences may applaud for extended time, allowing the cast to take multiple curtain calls, bowing to the audience. So when someone's wishing you break a leg, it's may you bow multiple times due to a good show, Yeah, basically. There was also a, a, a more Shakespearean definition. Um, for those of you who have studied Shakespeare, back in the day, if a show was so good, they would throw money, mm-hmm. and you would break your leg to 
pick it up. Reached out and pick it up. Some people believe that's where Brekelek started. Some people believe it's this. It's yeah. more of a Greek terminology. I think I've even here. heard a couple other ones too. Yeah. So. I mean, it just depends on, you know, what dictionary gives you the definition. Yeah. Uh, there's Greek, there's Shakespearean, there's, you know, French. There's, I mean, there's so many people who think break a leg means certain things. But that's the one I'm going with. <laughs> um, now, the next one. Since we are not in a theater, I'm allowed to say. Oh, yeah. Macbeth. Oh, you never say the title of this Shakespearean play in the theater unless you're performing that specific show. Right. It is believed to be cursed. If you do say it, you must leave the theater, spin around three times to your left, spit, curse, and then knock to be admitted back in the theater. I've seen it happen. I have as well. I have a story later about the one time I was the idiot who oh, no. did not believe in the curse, and it went wrong. Do you know uh, where the legend of the curse comes from? Um, I do know where the legend comes from. I do know that there's belief that those witches are actually saying an incantation, an um, actual cursed incantation. So the one I heard was that Shakespeare based the three witches in Macbeth on like real-life people, and they wanted, you know, some compensation for their being likeness yeah, the being used in the play. And I guess he didn't do it. And um, supposedly they put a curse on it for that. Now, that's Ooh. the version I heard. I don't, I, you know, who knows. I do know that the, it is it is strongly believed and apparently proven by some that the incantations they're saying are real hmm. Wiccan incantations, you know. And I'm not going to quote them here. If you want to look them up, go right ahead. But yeah. I'm not saying them on this podcast. We don't need a pod curse. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that is, and we're going to talk more about the Scottish play later because I do have a story. Good. Um, so those are your five definitions. Ten out of twelve. Sits probe. Ghost light. Break a leg. And Macbeth. And that leads us to Josh's favorite segment. And it feels good getting to do this because we really haven't done this much. And I'm, I'm just talking because he's like on the edge of his seat here and it's killing him. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. And what you watching? JD, what are you watching? Did I see you shivering with anticipation? Yes, you did. What are you watching? You know, uh, this was going to be my one... From last week before I caught the plague because uh, it was very fitting but uh, Glow season 3 came out I haven't seen season 3 um, I have only seen a little bit uh, really good so far uh, the, the ladies take the show to Las Vegas and uh, the first episode that's the very first scene uh, Allison Bree's character she plays like the heel she's like a mm-hmm. like a Russian you know Zoya yeah. the destroyer yeah and she's sitting with I forget the the character's name but she's like you know Miss America you know girl next door you know whatever and they're doing like a little sit down interview and it's the, oh god it's the same time that the challenger is about to take off oh no and so Zoya's like oh this puny American rocket oh it's you know pathetic and she's sitting there you know doing her gimmick and dog in America and dog in NASA and then the challenger you know explodes. So it's like, and they're supposed to open their show that night. What do they do and all that stuff? So it's great. Uh, And for the average non-watcher of this, you know, explain Glow. Oh yeah, sorry. So Glow is it's uh, stands for the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, which Mm -hmm. was a real thing in the 1980s. Uh, It was a a show about 
you know, these, these ladies, uh, they did a wrestling show. They all had different characters, and they would sing songs and stuff. It was very 80s, you know, very 80s. Uh, and this show was based off of it. Not the same characters or the same people. It's totally, you know, fictional, fictionalized version of it. Mm-hmm. But it's a pretty good show. Uh, so this is the third season. Uh, I, I do intend to watch more because I do enjoy that show. Oh, yeah, it's a good show. And also, if you haven't seen The Boys, watch The Boys. The Boys is incredible. It's so good. It's one of my new favorite things. Which but we may talk about soon. I think we should. We definitely will. Uh, but keep in mind... I have to get on that. Parental discretion is very, very, very advised. advised. <laughs> uh, but it's a great show. Um, so, I am... You know, I have work. <laughs> yeah. And... I work on this podcast quite a bit, you know, the the, the marketing aspects. Yeah. I'm doing two shows at once. I've barely had time to watch the back of my eyelids. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm maybe clocking three, three and a half, four hours of sleep every night. Um, I'm just tired, but I, I have not watched anything. However, I have found a new podcast that I enjoy. Uh, it's called Impractical Jokers, the official podcast. And what this is, is it's some of the producers... And some of the behind-the-scenes people get together after every new episode. So every Thursday, the show airs. Every Friday, the podcast airs. Um, and it is hosted mainly by Casey Jost, who is a producer of the show. Do you know any other Josts who may work in comedy? Uh, Colin Jost? They are brothers. Oh. Uh, yes. That makes sense. Casey Jost, who works on Impractical Joker since day one, is Colin Jost's brother. Colin Jost from Saturday Night Live. Yes, from Saturday Night Live. Um... He, it's great because they'll break down like each each uh, segment break. they have to do. They yeah. break down, you know, how the punishment happened. You know, they'll break down like how they some things happen behind the scenes. Like I learned that they have a different term for Mark in the comedy in the I guess hidden camera show world. Mm-hmm. Marks for them are unknowledgeable people to their show. In other words, a victim. Just, a victim, basically. <laughs> they call marks what their victims are. Right. So if you haven't listened to it, check out Impractical Jokers, the official podcast. Um, but hopefully, you know, by next week, I will have watched something new that I can talk about. Uh, so that uh, brings us into the news. We got a little bit here uh, this week. A lot happened. Uh, in the past uh, week or so in the world of nerd. Um, and I do not know their names. Um, have you... Have Jonathan you... Goldstein and John Francis Daly. John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, they are the main writers for Spider-Man Homecoming. They are getting to write and direct a live-action Dungeons & Dragons movie. And it'll surely be better than the first one they did years and years ago. Oh, you remember that? Uh, I, st- I still have the DVD. Wow. With It had uh, one of the Waynes brothers was in it, and um, I'm going to have to grab it, but I do have the DVD. Wow. I'm going to have to bring it and, and read the cast list. I do have that DVD still. <laughs> did you know uh, John Francis Daly was Sam Weir on Freaks and Geeks in the 90s? Oh my gosh! Yeah. He was. Uh, well, little... I mean, Freaks and Geeks launched that whole Rogan crew. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Jason that and, show and was Martin Starr really, and all them uh, cut short. Only had one season. Too short. Way it was too a funny short. show. I remember when it. I like. We could talk about it in and our in an episode someday, maybe. Maybe we maybe, will. Maybe we will. Yeah. Maybe we will because they were 
Freaks and Geeks, which nerd is in there. It fits in there somewhere. It fits in there somewhere. So that'll be cool. I think it'll be, especially knowing what they did with Spider-Man Homecoming, mm-hmm. they'll do some amazing things. And yep. that actually might bring us into talking about Dungeons & Dragons one day. You know? <laughs> Stranger Things have happened. I guess so. I, you see what I did there? d Stranger Things? I got it. Very uh, good. You've missed me. You clever. Uh, <laughs> so wait, this is not some news, but it is some rumors. It is rumor enough to get us kind of excited. Mm-hmm. It is strongly rumored that Ewan McGregor uh, will return as Obi-Wan Kenobi in an original Disney Plus Obi-Wan series. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's probably definitely going to happen because they wouldn't... I mean. They wouldn't allow this news to get out, and so no, many people reported no, no, on no. it. But they would eventually kill it. I feel like the rumor it's, if you know it's. It, I don't want to speak too soon, but well, it yeah. seems like it's probably going to happen. Well, you, you as a you know wars fanatic, you yeah. don't want to get your hopes up. Yeah, because we could see some amazing stuff between three and four, mm-hmm. um, like when he's supposed to tr- train with the ghost of Qui Gon Jinn. Yeah. That would be cool to see yeah. Liam Neeson one or two scenes. They were going to do an Obi-Wan standalone movie, but I think that got scrapped because Solo didn't do as well as they but hoped. That's Solo. You know, I mean, you bring in an Obi-Wan with Ewan McGregor solo movie, I guarantee you that that would do way better than a... And I love Han Solo as a character. Yeah, I feel like Han Solo is probably more popular than Obi-Wan. I don't know, man. I guess it's because... I just think like, you throw in lightsabers and Jedi. Maybe so. People are there. You know, I guess the difference is that the guy that played Solo is like a brand new, you know, new to the franchise. Unnamed. Ewan McGregor. He's, yeah, he's a Ewan bet. McGregor draws. Yeah. So, that's just rumored as of right now. So, uh, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, especially you Supernatural fans. Um, so, hopefully more will come out soon. Maybe it'll become a real thing within the next couple of weeks or whatever. Hope so. Especially the closer we get to Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on, D and D, as they're as they're nicknamed, who ran the Game of Thrones series, uh, they got a nine-figure deal to come to Netflix and exclusively make shows for Netflix alone. Now, think about this, people: nine figures. That's a ridiculous amount of money yeah. that a huge percentage of the country will not see in a lifetime. Yeah. Nine figures. So what's six figures? Mr. Davis. Six figures. Yes, what's I know you're English. In the hundreds hundred thousand there. Yes. So then you go seven, uh-huh. eight, nine figure deal. Not including what their shows may make or the budget of their show. That doesn't include the budget of their show. So wow. they're getting this is paid. like their salary? That's their salary Good to just night say, in the morning. We're going to put an office in the Netflix studios, and that's our place, and we're exclusively going to do Netflix shows now. Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> I know, you know, season eight of Game of Thrones was, you know... I got two more episodes. Ver- I did just finish... Uh, me and Mom just finished the episode that ended with poor little Masande's decapitation, oh, Lord, which yeah. broke my heart. Yeah, things start to get real after that. I was like, oh, yep. no. One of the cool... Like, just down-to-earth, most amazing, subtle characters. Yeah, bless but your But you did have to create a ba- another bad guy. Yeah. Quickly. Um, yeah, it was, you know, people didn't really respond well to Season 8, but their track record before that, you know, it's... Yeah. 
this we'll is a, this is a good move. Well, I, I mean, and I think that Netflix is doing this stuff, which we will discuss down the line with Stream Wars Two. Is Netflix is going to have to do this stuff? Yeah, because they're going yeah. to need Netflix originals to keep them alive with what's coming. Mm-hmm. And that 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 is foreshadowing for a November episode, and we'll get there. So D and D, I know I call them D and D. Do you have their real names? Do you, uh, they call D and D because their names are David and David. Yeah, David and David. Um, I won't worry about their last names. We will worry about their last names if they save Netflix. <laughs> but uh, moving on, the writers of Far From Home, however, another Spider-Man movie, have been given a nine-figure deal to join Sony in making a series of live-action TV shows set in the Spider-Verse. Goodness gracious! How do I how do I get hooked up with one of these nine right? figure deals? I mean, what do we, we need a show? Okay, right. <laughs> I mean, we're pretty creative people. Yeah, born and raised creative, raised in the theater. You know, nerdy. If everyone's getting nine figure deals, I'd take a five figure deal at this point. So, yeah, I would too. <laughs> I mean, but the far from and far from home was fantastic. Oh, for sure. So both lead writers of both of the most phenomenal Spider-Man films we've seen in the last decade are getting huge deals to create more universes. Yeah. Good for them. I mean, I'm I'm there for it. And uh, especially knowing like this could open up like Black Cat. Maybe, since it's in the Spider-Verse, we can start seeing some of the Defenders come over to Sony since, you know... Who They're knows? partnered with the MCU, yeah. technically. Um, but that's pretty exciting. Um, sadly, I know I'm moving on to DC from this Marvel, and I wish I was moving on to good DC news. <laughs> Rarely is, it seems. It's very rare <laughs> that I move from Marvel to DC news, and it's positive. Yeah. Sci-Fi has canceled Krypton, and have decided not to move forward with a... Lobo spinoff series. I think that would have done well, the Lobo thing. But I, I got Deadpool a, has Mar- Marvel has Deadpool. Lobo is like the de- yeah. the opportunity to be the Deadpool of DC. He yeah. could break the char- fourth wall. Mm-hmm. He could be the cursing character. The oh, you don't know where he stands because you know in the old animated series he oh, gosh I cannot remember who he was voiced by, but it was he was always the main man, baby Lobo. Mm-hmm. You know he's fun character. And, yeah. and Krypton, I, well, I finished season one. It's good. It's not bad. For I actually an heard series. that it was pretty good, but I got to say that you know, like, even though I'm not a DC guy anyway, but you know, a show about Superman's grandpa doesn't really sound very interesting. Oh no, no, no! Know. When it when it was first starting to get marketed, I was like, I, I, I don't care. Why do we need this? The only reason I'm watching it is because I need something DC to watch. Yeah, <laughs> and you're you're what's left. Yeah. So sad for them, but maybe it will open up some. Some airspace for some better DC uh, material. Speaking of DC, Jason Momoa has halted production of Aquaman 2 and other movies that he's filming to protest against the government, the American government, in defense of conservation. What the government is wanting to do is there is all this national park land in Maui, somewhere out in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. that they're wanting to basically do away with. And bring it into the industry world. And he, along with tons of Hawaiians and Samoans, are outraged. And he said, fine, I won't do any more. 
You know, I'm going to completely devote my time to protesting this. To I have a platform to use. People want me to do this stuff. I'm not doing it until more people get behind my cause. You know what? You 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 go, Absolutely. Jason Lamo. You like, go. We've talked about this a few times. Like he's a cool guy. Fight the power. And he just you know, I mean, before he was Cal Drogo. Do you know who Jason Momoa was? No, I don't think exactly. anybody Exactly. And now he's a household name. Yeah. Um, so go ahead, Jason. Yeah. I'm behind you. Resist. I, I will put off Aquaman 2 if it means saving... Hey. Con- ...conserving our Earth. It'll be tough, but we'll do it. ...and our natural resources. Um, especially since Aquaman's some of the best DC stuff we've had in a decade. For sure. So... Um, and moving on, we, as we were recording, got breaking news. Ta-ta-ta. Breaking nerd news. It appears by Vanity, Vanity Fair just released a massive article about how there will be a fourth Matrix movie. Yeah. And that is with the uh, Trinity and Neo returning. The original Trinity and Neo returning. So, I know a couple of weeks ago we talked about Michael B. Jordan starting his own Matrix Mm -hmm. franchise. What does this mean? This is exciting stuff. I mean, and you just cannot stop Keanu Reeves yeah, this day it, and age. It's smart to cash in on the second coming of Keanu Reeves. <laughs> that's good. The, the second I coming of I mean, that's really Keanu. what it's like. You know? It really but is. All of a sudden, Keanu Reeves is this huge I mean, we're getting dude. to Bill and Ted 3. John Wick is huge. Matrix 4 is coming. He's joining the MCU. And now, like, DC's freaking out. Like, what could we put him in? Oh, and he's doing <laughs> that video game, that Cyberpunk. Uh, Cyberpunk? Something. 2079 some or something year, like that. Number, yeah. uh, something like that. Yeah. But that is exciting, and that is your nerd news. And now that we've talked about what we're watching, now that we've done our nerd vocabulary, and now that we have talked about the news, I think it's time that we... On the theater. The theater. Theater. Um, so... We're not just talking about theater. We're talking about the people who inhabit the theater. Theater nerds, if you will. And I've come up with somewhat of my own definition. Um, So a a theater nerd is an actor or actress who tends to act in plays, musicals, on the live stage. Now what dictates a theater nerd, as opposed to a regular everyday thespian, is the fact that they can't go one day without quoting a musical or a play, they hear one cue word out of nowhere, and they can break into a monologue from a play or a song from a musical. They're typically very good at memorizing and recollection of things, and they are known to be very odd in some ways and very hyperactive at times. Yeah, I can see it. We have not just been that in our, our younger years. Yeah. We know. We've directed mm-hmm. the theater nerds. Yeah. And, we, it came, <laughs> and we find ourselves, when we direct those, like, were we ever this hyperactive about a show or yeah. a quote or a song? Yeah, we were. Yeah, I think you know? so. Um, so that is your definition of theater nerd. And I'm sure while you're listening, if you're not a theater nerd, you just sat there and said, ah. Uh, I know one. Yeah. That's that girl who walks down the hallway singing Hamilton. Yeah. Or Wicked. Or Phantom of the Opera all the mm. time. That's that girl who I can't say anything to without, oh, did you hear about the new, you know, and I'm sitting there like, no, I don't. Yeah. So. Uh, Some people just don't get it. They just don't get it. 
You know, they're not in the the theater crowd. They're the normies, if Ooh, you will. Yeah. Ugh, to be normies. normal. Yeah. Ugh. So that's your definition. And I thought we would move on. You know, we're both theater nerds. Sure. We we've grown up in the theater. We we've, we've done countless amounts of shows. Um, we each probably have superstitions, yes. and we know theater nerds who have superstitions. And that's part of the weirdness that comes with us theater nerds is you won't do what? Like, come on, just do this. No, I can't before a show. I just can't. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a thing. It's a thing. So a couple of superstitions that are, you know, the the permanent superstitions for every theater nerd. The top three are definitely good luck equals bad luck. Don't wish a theater person, whether it be... In a, in a play or in a musical, if you know someone who's going to be in a show, don't wish them good luck. Yeah. It's bad luck to say good luck. On opening night. Exactly. Or any night, really. Or any Especially night. opening night. Definitely don't do it during opening night. And we talked about this earlier, but Macbeth. Yeah. You never say Macbeth in a theater. It is the cursed Scottish play from Shakespeare himself. It brings bad juju, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and of course, and we have learned this, bad dress rehearsal means good opening night. Almost always. Almost always. Yeah. Now, of course, there's other superstitions like the second show slump. You know, I have to have a certain costume, you know, or a certain undershirt or something, yeah. which is one of mine. Um, <laughs> uh, so, those are three of the big ones you hear a lot of theater nerds freak out about. It's like, don't wish me good luck, you have to say break a leg. Yeah. You know, or, you cannot say the M word! Don't say the M word! Right. Uh, we actually did a show when I was uh, doing shows with the Morristown Theater Guild. It's called The Cast List. And it was a backstage musical. There's a lot of those out there. There's not a musical, a backstage play. Yeah. There's a lot of those out there, like Noises Off and stuff like that. So a play about a play. A play about a play, yes. And it kind of lets you into the world of theater nerd, like what we're like backstage. You know, you know, every character in that play, it's, it's not a strong script. Right. But you watch that show and you're like, oh, man, I've been in a show with that kind of person. Yes. Or I've... I've been that kind of person yeah. before. And so in the play, uh, a friend of ours, Todd Helm, had to say Macbeth. And just like the rules, after he would say it, we would make him go outside and do the three spins to the left, spit, cuss, and knock to be let back in. Yeah, We made him do that because we weren't just performing their script. We were like, we don't want that kind of bad. Don't put that evil on us, yeah. <laughs> script writer. So um, we had to do it. But uh, And that's just one little fun story. So we both have personal superstitions. I have a couple of little What little are yours? Things. So I have to always listen to The Red by Chevelle. Before uh, I like it. any show that I do, I listen to it in the car on the way, uh, and it's o- it's only for performances. I don't do it for like rehearsals or anything like that. Um, but it, it kind of that song gets me pumped up. If you haven't heard that song, you should check it out. I love that song. I've loved that song for years. Uh, so I listen to the red, and a lot of times I'll also uh, go out, you know, before the house opens for the the people who come in uh, to to sit, take their seats. Um, I'll walk out onto the stage, maybe walk around on the set, I'll put my headphones in, and I'll listen to the red again. And I'll just sort of, you know, walk around and kind of get comfortable on the stage and think about, you know, all the things I need to do and just kind of get myself ready and psyched up. 
that's really all that I, I have, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I have three main ones. I do walk out on stage with my headphones in. I, I have a full playlist that are just specific songs that I call um, my uh, Headspace. Mm-hmm. I call it Headspace. And I only, even though it's like a, a motivational Headspace, it's not like a, a affirmations. It's not, you can do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's red, The Red is on there by Chevelle. You've got Corn on there. Coming Undone. I mean, coming Undone, yeah. yes. Um, my Songs Know What You Do in the Dark by Fall Out Boy. Um, even Randy Orton's entrance song, Voices, yeah. from the WWE. It's, it's not happy music, but it gets me in that zone. And so I'll walk out there, and I don't walk around the set like you do. I will center stage, lay on my back, and just look up mm-hmm. for probably two or three songs with my eyes closed. Just, I have to do that before every Some show. Some people are thinking that this probably sounds really silly, you know, but... But you would have, it be silly if a certain athlete didn't wash their socks before a game? You know what? That's a good point. Exactly. You know, cause, oh, it's just a play. It's... It's you know, just a football game. It's harder than you think to... It really to, is. We've talked about this a couple times. Yeah. It could be a dangerous place. And there's, you know, the the nerves, you know, leading up to getting in front of a bunch of people and doing whatever you, yeah. you're doing. You like, know, it's... I just realized, and it finally came to my, uh, you know, the fr- forefront of the, my mind, you know, a couple... Uh, last weekend, my uncle passed away. Yeah. And my dad asked me to learn... And sing a song on guitar and sing it at aye, the funeral. Aye, aye. Fifteen people there, all family. Sometimes and that's the hardest. That's audience. the hardest thing. I and I even told him. I said, "So a lot of you know me as a theater kid. It's a lot easier in front of hundreds of people than it is this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I don't like this intimate settings. I, I don't like that very yeah. much. Um, for instance, if we were doing this podcast." In front of a small crowd, like two or three people, as opposed to just me and you, you know, or in front of a big crowd, it I'd be more awkward. I'd be like, so there are a few people watching us, and I don't like that. Hmm. But if there were hundreds of people, I'd be like, what's up, everybody? Yeah. You know, so I learned an Elvis song, and I, I transitioned it into Beulah Land for him, and I, I did it, but I was like, uh, weird. Yeah. This is not a big audience. So... One of mine is listening to my specific playlist, laying in the center of stage, looking up at the lights, and then closing my eyes, and just meditating. The other one, the same person, every show, has to mic me up. They have to. I've never been that way. Your sister-in-law experienced this during Mamma Mia. Like, I I somewhat freaked out a little bit when Kim Willaniscus was not there to mic me up at one point and Beth Ann was like I'll do it and I'm like nope it's a thing just it's a thing I can't I'm you don't sorry. understand you don't understand <laughs> you know so that's my second one and my third one is I have to have my lucky black undershirt it's a, it's a, a oh, tank that top that old thing that yeah, old thing yeah, yeah. every show I'm in that is my lucky undershirt it's ripped it's tattered it's torn but the audience doesn't see it yeah. i have i had that has been a superstition since probably our wizard of oz where you were tin man i was cowardly lion so it's like 2010 2010 I that's think? that started wow and that was you know nine years ago now that i think about it i've seen that thing a lot I'm, i mean i'm it's been washed i'm not you know 
I wash it at least, but I have to have that as an undershirt in every show I'm in. Or I feel like, well, we're going to have to pause the show. I'm going to go home and get it and find it. I will be late to call time if I can't find it. So those are my three big ones. Um, but you might think we're weird. But if if you're not a theater person, you have a superstition at whatever you do. You just don't know you do. Yeah. Like, Tra- I've, I've been friends with football kids and baseball. I played baseball like crazy growing up. And I really tried almost every sport you could in this town. Um, they have crazy superstitions too. Like, even fans have superstitions. Like, I will not wash my Peyton Manning jersey before yeah. the season starts. Right. Because it will bring bad juju on my team. Same type of thing. But we're weird. We're the weird ones. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So those are just some of our superstitions. Um, we may have some other subtle ones that we may not even know about. It could be. Um, but, yeah. So if you're ever in a show with us or share the stage, you'll see us doing those things. Yeah. And just know, oh, they're in their, their zone. Yeah. They're, they're, they're gearing up. They're Every like time. a wrestler before they come through the curtain. It's basically what we are. You know, we're... Hopping around, where you know, we even during Wizard of Oz, this last time we did it, when I was the Scarecrow, you were the Cowardly Lion, Stephen was the Tin Man, Dorothy was uh, Mackenzie Emmert. We, the four of us, had a thing that we had to do before every show. Did we? You don't remember no. us standing in the circle? Oh, the yeah. pinky finger of power. Yeah, we would put the pinkies all in, all four of us, and uh, get I'll, that energy up. I'll tell you just, one <sighs> that I bet that you you didn't know about because this uh-huh. was a show that you had. We did a play called The Picture of Dorian Gray years ago. Oh my yeah, gosh. and Tyler had like two lines. Bless his heart. <laughs> it was a long play, and I was uh, what was his name, Lord Henry, whatever Wadsworth, uh, something Longfellow. Um, it was. A, I, I said a bunch of stuff that I didn't really know. Your what it hair meant. was red. And I had, oh, I looked like Colonel Sanders or something, but with red hair, like <laughs> the way I had hair. my goatee and stuff, it was, it was whatever. So, uh, our friend Mike, he and I started the show, I can't believe I'm talking about this, we would like huddle up together, we'd kind of, you know, hug, and we would have to pass gas before every show. <laughs> We would stand right behind the curtain, we'd about to, you know, get ready to get in our little spots. And you'd and force we'd, it? Uh, well, I mean... I wouldn't say forced it. It just kind of was convenient that it had to happen at that time. You well, know, we the would... thing about it was probably easy to because you've probably had Akita Express before. <laughs> Shameless plug. You know, before the show. That's actually true. We did eat a lot of Akita at the theater. So I, I, you know, just talking about tradition and all that, that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'd totally forgotten about it. You know, we'd give each other a little hug and <laughs> every single time. Oh wow! Oh wow! So anyway. enough of superstitions. We, you know, we've we've been in this world for as long as you know, I, I, my first show. I was a preschooler. Mm-hmm. The first time I touched a stage, and I just fell in love. Yeah, at that age. Um, and we probably have our list of Broadway's best and worst. So I thought that, that we would maybe you know talk about some of our favorites. Okay, and some of our least favorites. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Let's go with uh, Broadway's our favorite favorite show, Josh. Uh, I think I'm gonna have to say Sweeney Todd. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, I it's, like the dark. Yeah, uh, you know, 
dramatic stuff like yeah. that. Well, you so, also got to play Sweeney Todd. Was, that was my number one dream role, and I really never thought that I would have you the chance to do it. You conquered it at an early age, And too. I got to do it, yeah. It was How like old were we? 23 or yeah. so. Four. You know, a 23-year-old is normally not playing Sweeney Todd. Um, no, I think we were a little older than that. Uh, it was definitely like six years ago, though. So I was living in Pigeon Forge because we came 24. all the way from Pigeon Forge to see you in the show. Yeah. So... A lot of fun. A lot of pressure. I was a nervous wreck. Yeah. Uh, I would. I remember like during the uh, dress rehearsal week, I would come home and I was just so nervous, and I would like sit and watch The Hobbit to calm down. <laughs> yeah, it's like typical nerd. Hobbits just make me happy. It makes me feel calm. <laughs> typical nerd. I wish I was in the Shire. <laughs> so. I'd have to say, you know, I've bounced back and forth with this, but message wise and just song wise, Rent. I know that you've played Roger. I did that one too. You're like, oh God, I could go the rest of my life without hearing Rent Seasons is of a, Love. Rent is a beautiful story. It's just, and it's a great story. And there's, it's, I do like Rent. I gotta say, it, I do. Well, but, I mean, but you know, when you when what a lot of people don't realize is when you're doing these shows, when you're on stage, it's two to three months of your life. I think nearly every day. The reason that I have such a aversion to it is that. I was so stressed out. I mean, I was stressed out with Sweeney Todd, too, but I think that the rent uh, that I did, that was the most stressed I've ever been before or during a show ever. And we've done a lot of shows. But that was not really a role that I'm suited for. I had to just do my best. I had to work really, 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 really hard. I loved practicing with you in the car. And, I I mean, I practiced all the time. It was all the time. And... I'm really bad about sucking myself out on things, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it, you gosh, did it. I was so you did it well. So I'll never do it again, ever, <laughs> never, ever again. But um, and it's I'm, one of my bucket list shows. Like I'm dying to do that show. Yeah, well, I um, get to. I hope so too. Uh, least favorite Broadway show. Me first. You first. Unpopular opinion, I think. Chicago. Really? I just don't... I'm not a massive fan. I don't care for it much. Yeah. Nah. I like Mr. Cellophane, and that's about it. I saw the movie once. Yeah. It was... Eh. It's it's really seriously a... You like it or you don't. Yeah. Mine, and I'm going to try not to go on a massive rant... Oh, boy. ...about this show... Heathers. I absolutely hate. I hate that show like Captain Hook hates Peter Pan. Oh, wow. I mean, the fact that it is a massive, popular show with a certain generation of of young adults and teenagers. Well, let's let's just it it romanticizes suicide. It romanticizes bullying. The songs are terribly written. You don't have to be a talented person to be in this show because oh, the characters are poorly written. Boy, um, it's just it belongs as a movie with Winona Ryder in the '80s. Keep it there because it's terrible as a musical. And if you're listening to this podcast and you've been in it, we know some people who, which done it. we do. I went to support them and walked away going, "Well, I've done my friend deed for the year." Because I hate this show. I apologize. 
Dang. We're not supposed to like the same things all the time. But Good point. You like a garbage show. I'm just saying. <laughs> so let's, without taking up the next three hours of your life, me going off about that show, let's move on. Most overrated show from Broadway. Um, I had to really think hard about if I wanted this to be least favorite or most overrated, and I had to switch them around a couple times. But I think my most overrated is The King and I. Right. And I did that one, too. You did do that one. I did that one, too. Uh, I mean, that's not mine, but I completely agree. Uh, ugh. It's yeah, not for me. It's really not. It's a classic or whatever, and I get yeah. that. I actually like a lot of the old classic ones. Like, I really like Oklahoma, and most people don't. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know. I think it's boring. It's too long. I would agree. I don't really care for most of the well, music and or any of the music. The production you had to do with was probably extended. Uh, I did it at in college at Tusculum. Oh, you did it. At yeah, Tusculum, not uh, State. No, I was the uh, the Kralahum. It's the the king's like prime minister yeah, or yeah. something like yeah, that. Yeah. All I really remember is that we had a lot of makeup on to make us dark, and I was barefoot and shirtless. Which you love. I all yeah, three of those things. Great. It's lots of makeup. Shirtless and barefoot. Yeah. Um, wasn't happy about it. But. <laughs> My most overrated, and I know this is a very unpopular opinion, Sound of Music. Yeah, I disagree with that one. <laughs> I. It is so... It's just... It's a real-life story, man. Okay. Come on, traps. I understand that, and Andrews was great, and mm-hmm. when you did it, you were great, and oh. Laura Ritter was great, yeah. but I just, I just don't like it. It's a, it's a droll, and it's pretty long too. And let's it's a be long honest, show, yeah. And I, I just, it's, it's overrated. Everyone's like the sound of music, the sound of music. I wouldn't do that music. one again either. Yeah. Um. So most underrated. Uh, I think this one will surprise you a little bit. Okay. The Wedding Singer. I would agree. It's That's actually underrated. a really good show. It really is. And we had big plans a few years ago. We were going to try to convince one of the you know local theater groups to try to put it on. Uh, it never went anywhere. But uh, I think it's a fun show. I'd like to. I'd like It'd to do that to one tackle. day. It'd yeah. be fun. Uh, the 80s music, the Adam Sandler story, you know, from the movie, it, it'd be fun. Yeah. Um, mine, I, I could not... I've been in both of these shows. I would have... Uh, it's, it's kind of a tie. It's between Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and Shenandoah. Shenandoah is a really good show. It was so fun yeah. to do that show. And it's Civil War based and it's got great music and writing. Um... The I remember loving the movie too. Yeah, the ago. movie is great. The set opportunities are are fun and, and intricate and interesting. Um, and Seven Brothers, Seven Brothers, you know, it's it's a great opportunity for big cast. You know, especially if seven good guys uh, and seven good girls. Uh, and it's just you know you don't see a lot of musicals popular these days at that time period. You know, anything under the fifties. It's very hard to find popular musicals these days. Mm-hmm. I think that those two, along with like Fiddler on the Roof, go forgotten these days, especially with like a Heather's or 
I, 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 I like had to grip my teeth just to say that word, or a Shrek, or a Wicked, yeah. or a, you know, Hamilton. You know, a lot of the modern musicals kind of blind us from the musicals that brought us to this era. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd have to say those two. Um, so along with our favorites, I, I, you know, when sending you the notes. I I did your favorite thing. I'm improving a little bit here. Love it every time. It's not improv for me. I have it written right here in front of me. But well, I want good to play, for you. I wanted to. I'm not going to ask you these questions, but I'm going to give you a little Broadway trivia. Okay. Um, for instance, I might ask you actually this first one. See if you know the longest running Broadway show. Uh, the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, ding ding ding. Yeah. We have a winner. <clears throat> Over 12,000 performances mm-hmm. of Phantom of the Opera, mm-hmm. and it's still going today. Um, I saw it on Broadway I did too. when I was a senior. Phenomenal show. Yeah. Um, when they're in the graveyard and she's singing, uh, Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again, before the Phantom comes in, that fire, yeah. right, you can feel it no matter where you're sitting in the theater. <laughs> and, you know, when there's scenes that where the Phantom isn't on the stage, but you can hear his voice, mm. um, it sounds like he's... like. All around behind you, you like beside you, above he? you, below yeah. you. You don't know oh, where yeah. he is, but it gives and, that effect. And you know that was it like the opening scene when that chandelier is coming down. That's amazing. And even if you don't, if you're not a theater nerd, you know the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, you know the mask. It's pretty cool. You know the show. Um, shortest running Broadway show, and you you can't guess this. Um. Probably not, because there's been so many. I oh, know man. one that was very short-lived that I didn't get to see that I wanted to, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Oh, it still has more than this one. Too many people got hurt. Yeah. All right, tell me. It is a tie between three shows. Okay. One performance. Oh, no. And then they were shut down. First one asleep, whistle. Father's Day, and I Won't Dance. All only had one performance. Fun fact, though, they were all written by the same guy. Oh, no. Oliver Haley. Poor <laughs> The guy. most successful, unsuccessful Broadway playwright to ever exist. Poor fella. <laughs> no. When I was doing the research, I was like, what a legacy to have. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, hey, somebody's got to... <laughs> somebody's got to be at yeah. the bottom. Um... He actually had two others that did have five performances, but his three tied for one performance. Five ain't much better than one. I know. Highest grossing Broadway show of all time. Ooh, uh, Wicked? No, but you have done this show. Uh, Ooh, have I? Mm -hmm. Oh, no. I will give Um, you a hint. The night that I saw it, the lights went out. The Lion King. The Lion King is the highest grossing Broadway show at one trillion... Four hundred and sixty-three billion, two hundred and fifty million, two hundred. Uh, sorry, let me start that again. <laughs> it is one trillion four hundred and sixty-three billion, two hundred and fifty million, two hundred and twenty-three thousand two hundred dollars. Good. In its grief. run, Disney strikes again. Yes, and it's not your average show. It's puppetry, and it's beautiful dancing and it's it's more of like a metaphorical show mm-hmm. a lot know? of it for sure a lot of yeah. it is and it and it's shakespeare originally yeah. 
it's Hamlet. Um, and it's I, I was I was shocked and not shocked at the same time. Like I honestly thought that Wicked would be the top. Yeah, it's number three. I can't remember what number two was. Wow. Highest paid Broadway actor or actress of all time. Um, probably an old school person, not a modern yeah. day. Uh she's both. Is it Kristen Chenoweth? Nope. Adina Menzel? Mm-mm. Uh, I don't know. Bette Midler. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. For those of you who don't know her by name, it's Winifred Sanderson from Hocus Pocus. Mm-hmm. Um, as of 2017, Hello, Dollies! Bette Midler is the highest paid Broadway performer of all time, ranking in $150,000 a week and 10% of the box office a week. It's a pretty good However, setup. However... In her run as Hello Dolly in the 2017 revival, it broke a million dollars in her year's contract. For breaking a million, she got a bonus, 15% of the box office, added to her already $150,000 a week. Some people have just got it all. I know. Which brings me to my fact number five, the last one, the Broadway base pay as of this year. The base pay for a Broadway performer is, you want to take a guess? No. $2,034 a week. Okay, sounds pretty good, but when you factor in... Uh, living in New York living City. In New York. My brother's living there now, and for a room smaller than your Fortress of Nerditude right now, he's paying maybe twelve to 1300 a month for a room. And base pay, though, that's like for entry-level, like ensemble... Like, yeah, that's ensemble. Yeah, so Entry if you're level. already a, a star, you're obviously making a lot more than yes, that. Yes, but yeah. that's like third lamppost from the left yeah. payment. Um, Got to start somewhere, though. Absolutely, you do. And those are five random facts. Broadway trivia. And I know I shocked you with it. I surprised you with it. I know you love improv. That wasn't um, so bad. <laughs> but I, I still took it easy because we're getting back in the flow. Yeah. It's yeah. our first episode back doing it normally, so sure. I took it easy on you. Yeah, so I thought that. we would spend these last little bit, you know, telling some personal stories, maybe doing some Q&A, because we did have some questions. Um, but some of our favorite personal stories. Um, and I will start. Sure. Before meeting Josh Davis, before meeting this this co-host of mine, I was, we met in freshman year of college at Walter State. 2007? Yes, we were in film and choir together. Yes. Um, I proud pride myself, prided, proud. Yeah, I don't know. You're an English. I think teacher. it would be prided. Prided. Yeah. English used language. to pride. I used to pride <laughs> myself before meeting Josh <laughs> that I had never broken character before on stage. And up until then, I'd done quite a few shows. School shows, community theater, stuff like that. Um, however, we did the show High School Musical 2, where I played Chad. And he played Mr. Fulton, the boss of the country club. And is this the last show? I don't know. I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's a scene where we are finding out from Mr. Fulton that we're not allowed to participate in the talent show. We have to work instead. But he is, you know, having his strings pulled by Sharpay, the villainess character. And the last show, it's it's 
him standing in between me and my cousin Kyle Stanifer, who played Scott, which is not in the movie, it's only in the stage play. And who did our intro music. Who did our intro music. Yes, our intro music, Kyle Stanifer. Yes. He was on the other side of Mr. Davis here. And so he throws in this stupid little line along with you finish it you well finish. i don't remember the line at all the I line just... is it's not always singing and dancing you know and so when he's delivering the line he does the from high school musical one we're all in this together dance yeah. i knew like two little moves from yes. it and so i decided i it's not yeah. all singing and i threw in a little little jig and <laughs> it was a hit <laughs> it caused me and kyle to just look at each other and just stifle a giggle. Yeah, there were a few people that were a few people were not expecting. It. I was proud of that one. <laughs> we, I had never broken character before in my <laughs> life. Ugh. Yeah, that was that was uh, to say that a brotherhood was was created <laughs> those that year and the years before. Uh, Brotherhood like none other exists. Um, all off breaking character. And You're welcome. A silly Disney musical. <laughs> I'm, glad it, I'm glad it was me. <laughs> I'm too. Because I'm not a punched if it was somebody else. <laughs> I was forgiving. Yeah. But, and it's crazy though, like ever since breaking that one time in 2009, that one show. Now it's easy to make character. Yeah. Now it's like the dam has been released yeah. and, you know, the seal has been broken. And I break character so easily now. Um, so that's one funny story. Uh, me and you both have done uh, Wizard of Oz multiple times. Yes, twice. Um, you've uh, done it twice, I've done it three times. That's right. It was my first show I'd ever did. I was that's in preschool right. and I played a lollipop kid. Look at you. Would you stop? I know. Um, it was adorable. It was, Wizard of Oz is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. And Every Thanksgiving at play. I had just directed Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for uh, a local theater group. Um, I and played Mr. Salt. You did. Uh, it was, you know, it was really something. I was like 20 years old, so I did the best I could with what I had. A lot of kids. Uh, yeah. Uh, but they were, you know, pretty pleased with what I did, and they said, you know what, if you want to do something else, you just tell us what you want to do, and we'll do it. And, like, to a 20-year-old theater nerd being told, hey, you want to just pick a show? Let's do it. That's that's pretty high praise. So I said, you know what, I know exactly what I want to do. Let's do The Wizard of Oz. And we did it, and the entire production team was, uh, everyone was under the age of 25, I think, at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, me, the stage manager, the choreographer, and the music director, all of us, you know, and we, we did it. We did the dang thing, you know, uh, it was very successful. Um, and you know, not the best thing I've ever been a part of quality wise, but again, 20, 21 years old, I did the probably the best best that they had seen in a while at that organization and in the area in a while. Yeah. I, I think so. It's something uh, I'm very, very proud of, though, just, you know, yeah, nonetheless. you not only directed it, but you played the Tin Man. I did. And I was the Cowardly Lion. Yeah. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, but I remember one... There's plenty of memories from it that we could spend a whole episode on, but I remember one particular memory. It was like 
the night before we opened. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet I was a nervous wreck. And we were at Walter State till 3 in the morning. Basically, you were just like, what else is there to do? What else is there to do? We were sitting down, and you were, I was, and basically I had to look at you and go, there's nothing else you can do. You've done your part. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been here for hours now. We yeah. open tomorrow. Go to bed. Yeah. We've got sleep to get. I was and, so stressed out, dude. Yeah. I, I went home. I think it was that same night. I went and took a shower, and, like, hair was falling out of my head. Because I was just so... At 20 years old, that 20 years old. be happening. Well, I stress out very easily as it is. Um, well, but there was <laughs> a lot of pressure on me and, you know, there are a lot of things that weren't right yet and things that I wasn't happy with, but, you know, we pulled it off and we had a lot of fun, like you said, so well, we had to, was it, we had to add a show, I believe oh, we had, knows. I believe we had to add a, there an were, extra show there were the endless second weekend third weekend there. Yes. A director's were, work is never truly done. Oh yes. Yes. As you know. Truly. Truly never done, but it was fun. And the second, the second time you've done it, the third time I've did it, mm-hmm. we did it in two thousand seventeen. Yeah, mm-hmm. November of seventeen. Yes, I think so. Yes, this time, however, we auditioned going into it, thinking we got to be the same parts because yeah. it's just it's written in the stars. Yeah, and the director of that show, Michael Shane, you know, called us back. And what was weird is I believe we both. In the callback, read for the part we were in 2010, and the part we ended up being <laughs> in this production. I was called back for Scarecrow and Lion. Read for both of them. I was like, oh, okay, cool, Scarecrow. I think that's a formality, you know. <laughs> and you were called back for Lion and Ten Man. Yeah. Well, the day came where they called, and Mary calls and says, Tyler, we would like to happily offer you the part of the Scarecrow. And there was a silence, and I was like, uh, are you sure? That's exactly what I did, too. <laughs> are you I was reading like, it right, Mary? What? Huh? <laughs> I was like, the scarecrow, but <sighs> I'm clearly the lion. Yeah. I mean, we've been there. We've done that. We know this. Okay. Yeah. And I said, yes. Yes, I, I will. Mean, what are you going to do? Not? Say no. Say no. no to that. Another part of the four. And something different. And I said, if you don't mind me asking, what is Josh? Oh, he's going to be the coward of the lion. Really? So we've not just changed. We've both changed astronomically. Yeah. From different sides of the spectrum. Character-wise, vocal-wise. I mean, well, you got it easier. I mean, the Tin Man was higher than the lion. At least you got to go a little lower. Mm-hmm. But I had to go up to ten or two. Yeah. And that was common tough. Common theme here. I was a nervous wreck. <laughs> I was like, man, what if I'm not funny enough? What if I can't do this or whatever? And I just, you know, I was full of doubt. But it all worked out. And I had a lot of fun. Well, and it's always like your your old adage that you've always said oh, in theater. Yeah. Make it work. Make it, just make it you work. You made it work. I did. You know, and it was good and it was funny. Yeah. Um, you did things that I never thought of doing mm-hmm. that were funny. Yeah. Um, and, and that just goes to show that in theater it does not matter... You know, when you do a show, how many times you do a show, if someone's doing it a different part than you, they're going to do it different than you. Um, so, moving on, you know, what is what is a time that, what, what can you walk away from this world of theater that you've grown in and say that has been your favorite experience? Oh, um, that you've just been like, you know what? 
the whole experience. Mine's pretty recent, but oh yeah. Um, gosh, man, I don't know. Uh, the most, I you know, I'm gonna say the time that that I directed it. You know, yeah. that I directed was Revaz because being so young, I felt like I had a lot to prove and. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of people looking to me as a leader. We had a lot of people in the cast who were, you know, adults and, you know, it's like, and we had a lot of kids, but. Well, I mean, that was the first time that I saw you flip from the guy that I goof off with and go to Akita Express with and, you know, just, you turned into a leader that show. Yeah. And. I realized real quick that I could put my trust in you in more than just on stage, but as a leader and as a director. Yeah. So, I would definitely agree with that for Thanks, you. Thanks, man. Um, mine is definitely more recent. It was this past winter we did the show American Idiot. And originally going into it, you know, I auditioned for it and I got casted and I was like, it's the Green Day musical. You know, it's, it's Green Day. It's punk. I had no idea that it would be a... An experience that changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to... The ensemble that you were, if you weren't a named character, your ensemble was you. Was Tyler. Like, I played Tyler. And I had to create, like, a nega Tyler. Like, an alternate universe Tyler. And I had to pull from hate and sadness and loathing. And I had to pull from all these parts that I had thought that I had forgotten in life. You know, because um, I don't go into it, but, you know, the four or five years leading up to the starting of this podcast, you know, I've had a lot of crap. Yeah, you did. You know, happen. <clears throat> and, but I'm also norm- normally a everything happens for a reason guy and still keep my cheery, cherub-like demeanor. And, but, however, um, you know, it, uh. The director, Mike Howard, who is graciously a reason that we have Encore as a sponsor, um, he brought up, in our meetings, he brought up things that you know I had somewhat subconsciously forgot about. And uh, it was just, it was an eye-opening, and not just for me, for the whole cast. You know, he did it with all of us. Like, well, you know, I know this happened in your life. How'd that make you feel? And I was like, uh, mad. Okay. So, show it. And I'm telling you, it was the most breathtaking experience of my life. And I will forever cherish it. And I think it helped me get rid of a lot of demons mm-hmm. that I was carrying with that I had no idea that I was carrying. You know, because you bury it, I think. And. It was just amazing. It was a good show. And, like, you know, I like Green Day, okay? Yeah. Um, well, and they their official page, like, shouted oh, us yeah, out. Oh, yeah, that's and right. Said, I hey, Morristown's yeah. doing our show. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And we were like, <gasps> yes. Oh, yeah, I forgot <laughs> and, about that. I mean, it was, you know, big it's crowds huge. every night, and yeah. energy was crazy. And if you have not listened to the album or seen the show, if you like Green Day, you're going to love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the story is an everyday... It ha- it's happening still. But even if you don't... Like, even if you're not a big Green Day fan... Like, I was going to say, I'm, I'm not a huge Green Day fan. I like yeah. them okay, but, you know... And I didn't really go into it, you know, expecting... 
I don't know what I was expecting. You know, yeah. I was just there to support my friends. But man, the, when the music started, I was mo- like in my seat. Yeah. I was moving. I was head well, banging. I, mean, we I were, was you all know, into it. Sophomores, juniors in high school when American Idiot the album uh, came out. Yeah, I think we were juniors. We remember. You know, that was a. I had that album. It was a life changing album. That was a. We're mad, and mm-hmm. something needs to be done. There are bad things going on in this country in our lives. Somewhere something changed, and we need to change it back. You know, so it was just an amazing experience. But you know, we could we could go on about that for hours. We could go on about personal stories for hours. Oh, we have a hundred of them. But you know, maybe we'll do a theater nerds too. Perhaps. Perhaps. So I wanted to get to some of these questions real quick. Sure. Um, you know, we have some some pretty devoted fans that send in questions every single episode, and I Aww. love it. Keep it coming, nerds. Um, Stephanie asks, uh, "What play slash musical is on your bucket list?" You know, I've been very fortunate to have been given the opportunity to do a lot of the ones that I I felt that way about. I wanted to be the Tin Man. I did it. Uh, I wanted to be Sweeney Todd over over everything. I got to do it. I wanted to play Gaston in Beauty and the Beast, and I did that. Did you? (laughs) (laughs) I talk about it a lot, I I guess. Uh, I love Gaston. Um, So I think the only thing really... I'd, I would really like to do Rocky Horror one day, and you're fortunate enough that you get to do that. As a teacher, I don't think it's a good idea for me to take part <laughs> in that show. I'd like to play Brad one day. Mm-hmm. Um, I would really like to play the dentist in the Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. That's a that's a big one. Um, well, you know, funny story. If you're not doing a show in November, auditions for Little Shop of Horror and Pigeon Forge are happening soon. Oh yeah. Well. I'm sort of even. It's nice to to dream of doing these things, but for the time being, I am happily retired from the stage. Yeah, he's he's given a little look, but um, there are very few things that I think would bring me out of retirement. Um, I'm just too happy being a dad. So that's good, man. Um, if we ever had the opportunity in a few years when we're a little older to play Leo and Max from the producers, mm-hmm. you and I together Stream would cast. we would. Oh man, we kill it. It would be. It would be kill. It would be show dead. stopping. It would be dead. It would dead. D E D. Um, what was it like switching from performing to directing? You go first. I will be the first to say that I like performing a lot more. Um, I don't. It was a lot. I would. It was way more stressful as a director, which you would agree with. I think in a different way. Yes. Um, I am my own worst critic, so. Mm-hmm. I would second guess a lot of things that I would do on stage. Oh, is it funny enough? Is it reading the right way? Do I look stupid? Do I sound bad? You know, whatever. So that pressure and that type of stress was very bad for me. But like being productive and trying to put the show together, that type of stress, I enjoy that. And I, I do thrive on that most of the time. Um, and I, I, I do like to you know be a leader. And especially if a lot of the shows I've directed have been... Uh, I've had a lot of kids in the cast. I've um, especially enjoyed working with kids and kind of bringing them up in theater mm-hmm. and, and trying to coach them in theater and stuff. So uh, I would prefer it. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I would I would say it's more stressful. Not that I hate it. You know, I've gotten four or five shows under my belt mm-hmm. directing-wise. It's cool. It's a different side. It teaches you as a person a different skill. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I, I would definitely say um, I enjoy performing better. Uh, and actually, Stephanie has a story. We did share the stage together, uh, Stephanie and I. Uh, her favorite story about the theater is 10 years after we both shared the stage in High School Musical 1, Tyler directed High School Musical again for the Morristown Theater Guild. And my favorite story is that he added my personal touch from when I performed to a certain HSM character. And I had to. Like, the way she did it when we were fresh out of high school, and I was playing Chad, and she was an ensemble member in the audition scene, I knew that that was one memory that stood out from my time performing it. And I knew that when I directed it this time, I was like, I want to create that character. I want to recreate what Stephanie did in the audition scene. So I basically looked at the person playing that part and I said, this is what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I emulated Stephanie and she did it. And Stephanie saw the show and, you know, I was like, it's because that's how you performed it. And that's stood out to me 10 years later was the way you stole the five seconds you got or the 10 seconds you got in that scene. You stole it for that specific time and that's an opportunity for this person to steal it for that time and I'm more I'm normally more a fan of organic but I knew at that point I was like I want her I want her to do what Stephanie did because it stands out in my memories so yeah uh, thanks for the question Stephanie and the story Uh, Blake asks what is your favorite play that you have ever been in they also have a musical one so play um I'm going to say it's a it's a tie. I did a play in high school called Almost Treasure Island. Um, remember my friend TK that spoiled Dumbledore for me. He and I yes. were the were the two uh, main guys in that. We were, we were very funny. I'll have to say it was a hit. And you got to realize I come from this place where everybody's a good old boy and nobody cares or appreciates. Most most people don't care or appreciate anything about theater, and if you do theater, mm-hmm. you know you're you're strange, you're weird, you know whatever. Um, and he was a pretty popular guy, and I was okay, and um, it was a hit. People were you know nobody heckled us, and everybody was quiet and attentive, and they enjoyed it, and uh, we got like a standing ovation, which at my high school full of good old boys, good old boys. That was a big deal. So that one, and then also I got to play John Proctor in The Crucible, which yeah. was it was more more uh, more dialogue than I ever thought that I would ever have to learn. Yeah, but I did it, and it was a lot of fun, um, and I'm very proud of it. So that one, awesome. Uh, my favorite play is definitely playing Mike in Wait Until Dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was probably the first, just the first time ever. At that point, and almost pretty much the first time since that I got to play a bad guy. I'm normally the comedic relief. I'm like always the bad yeah. guy. So. I mean, we'd love to switch every now and then. Yeah. You know, directors out there. Just because someone's good at one thing doesn't mean they can't do the other. Uh, it's just a powerful show. It's suspenseful. Uh, the whole last ten minutes takes place in pitch black, and you're relying on sound and strike of a match every now and then. Um... If you have not seen the movie, uh, Catherine Hepburn's in the movie, or Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Mm, Audrey Hepburn, yes, is in the movie. Great movie, uh, great show, and uh, it was a chance to be a villain. 
Um, so it was really cool. A lot of lines, though, when you're one of the main villains. A lot of lines. Uh, what was your favorite musical you've ever been in? And I just, you know, pretty much answered it, American Idiot. Um, probably Sweeney Todd, because mm-hmm. I never thought I'd get to do it, and that was a dream come true. I gave up going to WrestleMania 30 you did? to play Sweeney Todd. I was going to go with my cousin, um, and I gave it up for Sweeney Todd. Uh, and maybe Les Mis. Um, that was of that too. You got to do Les Mis yeah. too. <clears throat> I didn't have like a huge role in it, but man, it was a oh, it was great, powerful show. Um, sold out pretty much every time, every uh, performance. Oh, yeah, big show, probably the best show that I've been a part of. I, I would agree. I would venture to say. I would agree. Um, yeah. not just cast wise, but just overall. everything about it was yeah. great. Um, Logan asks, uh, do you think they will ever remake Repo Man the Genetic Opera? <laughs> now this is, this is Logan Roach. This is our, our best friend Logan that we give heck to. Um, Repo Man, if, if you have not seen it, it is, uh, Terrence Zudnick, who also plays the Grave Robber in it. He actually wrote a trilogy. There's, uh, Repo Man the Genetic Opera... Our friend Alex Cooper has the other two. That I'm I didn't even know they had other ones. It's it's like a trilogy. Um, they're all three big rock opera dark musicals. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to check those out. But funny story about Logan. He hel- wanted to help us in that first little run through of Wizard of Oz. Uh, he oh, was yeah, going to do jerk. flights. He was going to do like flight because you got to fly. The monkeys flew. Uh, witch, Dorothy flew Linda. the witch, um, and he was gonna run flights for us. And he bailed. He bailed. What a jerk! And we hold that against him to this day. And I guarantee you, we're gonna get a group text saying, "That gummit guy, guess drop to, it, man." You have to bring that up all the time. You gotta, gotta bring it up all the time. Leave you, it alone. <laughs> you owe me a, a pizza for that. You do. Um, so uh, moving on, Shannon asks. This is for the both of you. Favorite role ever played? Um, and you've pretty oh, much... Oh, yeah. Sweeney Todd for you, Sweeney right? T- yeah, but you know what? Playing Farquaad in Shrek was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I had to do the whole show on my knees, so. and it was like... I got a lot of, like, pats on the back for that role and everything, but... It was kind it, of outside your wheelhouse. It might have been a villain, but it wasn't a solid, like, Tybalt. yeah. It was, it was physically really demanding and challenging because, like I said, I did it all on my knees. So it was tough. Um, but I was going to say, like, I got all these pats on the back and compliments for it, and I really appreciate it and everything. But it wasn't me. It's the role. The role is just so good and well-written. And he's got, all the, he's got all the jokes. And just seeing a dude coming out, you know, a little short dude with all this intimidating music, and he's got guards and everything, and you see this little short guy and everything. Yeah. And he's, the little legs I had looked ridiculous. <laughs> Um, it was so funny though. Anybody could have, you know, gotten laughs and stuff, but uh, it was fun. It was a whole lot um, of fun. I would have to say favorite role ever played. <laughs> it's probably the lion. Like yeah. I, I just think that that's special. That yeah, really, and, it's something special to me. And, and we, that whole show, like the whole cast and everything, we got very, very close because it was such a community effort. You know, yeah, I was absolutely. the leader and everything, but it just took everybody to pull well, together. It truly, 
you know any shows like that, but this one especially institutes the belief that it takes a village yeah. to make these things happen. And we yeah. would we had reunions for that show, you know, for three or four years yeah, or so. We called that. it Woostock. Woostock. And um, yeah. it was great. Um special time. Your dream role now. Do you have one now? I don't, I don't know that I do. What curly? Oh, in Oklahoma? No, I'll never do that because I can't dance. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I don't think I have the voice to play the Phantom, so I can't do that. Uh, you know, there's just really not many things left. I think you and I doing the producers is yeah. really that. That's up there. That one I would I would find a way to make it work if we were ever so fortunate to get the opportunity. But beyond that, man, there's just not much that really sparks my interest um, in. Well, I mean, obviously, back. you know, every theater nerd would love to play the Phantom, but, you know, statistically having the voice to play him oh, goodness. is ridiculous. So I would have to say uh, my dream role now is probably Javert in Les Mis. I would love to play Javert. That would be fun. I know that I'd be cast as Tenardier, but, man, Javert would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Stars is one of my favorite Broadway songs ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what makes playing him interesting and difficult is he's not a bad guy. He's not a villain. He's doing the right thing. He's doing what he thinks is right. Mm-hmm. And it's not go. This doesn't go to like the comic book definition of a villain is the hero of their own story. I mean, he's he's a cop doing the right thing. So I mean, he's not a villain. He's not you know. But Dark all, all villains, or, or most villains, think that what they're doing is the right thing. Yeah, Thanos was—he justified what he did. Yeah, that's so. very true. Uh, and I just think that'd be interesting, and it would definitely be against what I normally do. Yeah. So, uh, thank you, Shannon. Uh, Alex asks, "This is for both of you. What is the biggest challenge you have had to overcome through theater?" Like challenge of doing a sh- show just, or challenging? I think just challenge. And take it however you want. Uh-huh. Oh boy. You want to go first? Because I don't know. I'm going to have to think on that. I'm about to take it real. Mm-hmm. Divorce. Yeah. Um, That's right. During that Rock of Ages, yeah. I was going through a divorce. Um, the divorce I didn't want. Um, kind of, you know, pulls the rug out from you mm-hmm. in life. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to get too sappy, but somebody was there to pick me up, mm-hmm. and he's sitting across from me. Yeah. Not just emotionally, but physically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, in all honesty, not just without my support system, but without theater, I truly, truly can say, you know, I don't want to get too dark with this but without theater I would not have survived you know mm-hmm. I would not have a, had a full place to escape basically so um, that was probably the biggest challenge that I've ever had to overcome through theater is, is divorce well I definitely can't top that at all but I've sort of mentioned several times here about you know my nerves <clears throat> have you know wicked bad nerves uh before shows and leading up to a show oh you know I, I just never feel like I'm quite where I should be um I did a show 
several years ago. Uh, it was an original show by uh, an old teacher of ours. Uh, I shouldn't say old, I should say former teacher, uh, <laughs> Jerry. Uh, Mr. Malloy, he uh, wrote an original uh, stage version of an old Disney movie called Summer Magic. And he has a lot of connections, uh, you know, out in California to mm-hmm. to Disney. I remember this. And um, we were the first uh, the first version of this show ever done. Disney uh, totally, uh, you know, they didn't back it or support it or whatever. They embraced it. They, yeah, they were like, yeah, you you guys go. Right, um, cool. And they were willing to kind of put their name on it. Uh, there's something about our production that's in the archives at Disney, yeah. which is great. But well, we had Sherman come. We had all these big guests from Disney. These, you know, like uh, Mary Costa, who was the voice of Sleeping Beauty, came, and she lives in Knoxville, so she comes to things. Well, we here. met her in Camelot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she came. She's a lovely, lovely woman. Yes, she is. But we had Richard Sherman of of the Sherman Brothers, who wrote all the classic, you know, old old school Disney songs. He came. I got to meet him, um, but all these Disney people were there, and we know I love Disney, and oh my goodness, they were in the audience two nights in a row, and my my knees were just like shaking. I was so, so scared. I thought, there's no way I'm going to get through this. I'm going to pass out before I go up there, something like that. There was a spot in a song that I had that I was struggling with. I never could nail it until we had an audience, but I did it. That's I, how I, it works. And... Um, yeah, I, I think, think my, my favorite song that in that show. was the Ugly Bug Ball. Oh yeah, I love that song. <laughs> yeah. um, that was a really big. Uh, that was something that I was, you know, excited to get to see in the audience. Mm-hmm. Sadly, I was not there when the Disney, uh, the Disney people were there. But and Kathy Garver from that show Family Affair, she was in the cast. Yeah. She came to be in the show. That was fun to work with. That was her. really cool. Nice lady. Um, and that just goes to show, like you know, we could we've talked about before, like through theater, we've met Harrison Ford. And so many other people, like mm-hmm. Kathy Garver and Mary Costa. I mean, it just it opens doors, mm-hmm. and you never realize. Um, last question: uh, Alder asks. This is for both of you. What is the best Broadway song written, in your opinion? Written. I'd have to say it's a tie between two. I One's bet one of them seasons of love. No. Oh. Um, that would be number three. <laughs> um. Probably, I really love Wait For It from Hamilton, and I'm kind of a stickler. Best song ever written, though? No, 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 it's not my number one, it's like up there. Okay. Uh, Probably No More from Into the Woods. Oh, I love that one, too. my favorite Broadway song of all time. No more questions, please. Oh, that's one. I'd like to play the Baker one day. The Baker would be fun. Yeah. Baker would be fine. I got to be a prince, but here in a few years when I'm a little older. See, I'd love to be the mysterious man. Yeah. It'd be fun. Um, Man, that's a good one. That's a great Broadway song. Uh, I'm just super- one place the movie failed miserably was taking oh, it out. It sure did. I'm super biased on this, but this is just my all-time favorite, and it's why I love the role so much. The song My Friends from Sweeney Todd. Oh, it's such a good one, that too. That song, and um, being able to do that was... Oh, I could imagine. Oh, it was great. And you um, were fantastic. Thank you. It was, it was amazing. I appreciate that. Seeing that. Like, I think that we've always had this, like, if I can't do it, I want yeah you to do it. Yeah. You know, um, if I can't be the part, I'd like Josh to be the part. Sure. You know, so, um, and that's all we got for this episode. Like, again, there's so 
much that we could talk about in this theater episode. Um, to where we probably will do another one. I bet we'll have to. We'll have to do a few more. <laughs> there are so many great things that I would love yes. to share with the people out there. Um, um, great memories and... Um, it just it, it meant a lot to me over yeah. the years where I, you know, like you've pre- you've gone pretty nonstop for the past four or five years being a part of theater. And yes, I, I feel really, like I, ha- I feel like I've had to. Yeah, to, yeah. it's kind of like it's just kept my kind of like you used to tell me all the time when you were the busy one. You'd be like, I have to, mm-hmm. I have to keep going, yeah. I have to keep working, or I'll you know idle minds. Yeah, um, so. I'm starting to, like, I even, you know, made a, a, a stapled testament. Firm, a firm commitment. A firm commitment to I'm taking the winter off. Yeah. You know, sure. like, I'm taking you it off. You don't want to burn out. I'm not doing anything. I got burned know? out. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it's, that period of, like, you know, eight, nine years or so, I just went hard nonstop. Like, I want to do as many shows as I can. I want to play as many roles as I can. I want to do it, say I've done it. I want to improve and learn and get better. And I, I did. Uh, yeah. and, and you have too. And, um, but, you know, now that life has changed and uh, everything, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to sit in the audience you yeah. know, and, and, and watch and support from there. Absolutely. But maybe one day I'll come back. Um, but we, you know, I have, like I said, we're doing two shows right now at the same time. Uh, one will be at CreepyCon in Knoxville this weekend. It's History of the Devil, uh, written by Clive Barker. And the next one I'm going to be in is I'm playing Eddie in Rocky Horror, which is exciting. Can't wait. Um, so that's just, that's our, let's, let's just leave it with this. That's our first act. Very nice. Theater nerds. Very nice. Uh, we will continue at a later date to talk about more theater stuff. Um, now, whether this is a regular two-act show or a Jerry Malloy four-act show, <laughs> Love you, we will see. Um, so thank you all for the questions. Um, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we talked earlier about a new sponsor we have for the rest of the season, Marble City Comic Con. Uh, we're going to uh, leave you and end with a special sit-down that I got to do with Shannon Ray, who's in charge of Marvel City Comic Con. And um, after that, you know, you'll hear the closing credits. And uh, we really hope that we see you at Marble City Comic Con. It's in Sevierville this year. It's going to be so exciting. There are massive names coming this year. This is going to be the biggest Marble City that they've ever had. Um, so... Uh, Stay tuned, and uh, we will uh, catch you next time, I guess. We will see you then. I see you shiver with anticipation. What's up, guys? I'm here with Shannon Ray. And uh, Shannon, what is it you do with Marble City Comic Con? Uh, I'm the promoter and booker of the event. Okay. We put the event together every year, and uh, this year we have moved the event from Knoxville to the Sevierville Convention Center, which looks to be the future home of the event for quite a while. Good, good. Uh, what all? What all in a daily? Uh, the daily life of Shannon. Like, what? What does your day include when it comes to just Marble City Comic Con? <laughs> Uh, wow. Uh, text messages, emails, uh, every social media platform possible. Uh, and you, you just never know. You, yeah. you really don't. Uh, 
Marble City really can encompass just about any form of pop culture possible. And um, really, it, it can surprise you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've been doing stuff like this uh, most of my life now at this point. I've been doing it uh, for over half my life. And uh, I can still be surprised yeah. with it. That's that's the surprising part, is I can still be surprised. <laughs> Even it. after all this time. Yeah, yeah. Um, there there are some, some great aspects about it. Uh, I still can, can find fun in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be amazingly stressful sometimes, oh, but, gosh, uh, um, it, uh, it's an industry I really do love, mm-hmm. um, from, from all aspects of pop culture, movies, TV shows, animation, art, um, comics, uh, wrestling, wrestling, yeah. Yeah, You're a big wrestling fan. I am a big wrestling fan. Good, good. Uh, so are we. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, what? I don't want you to give too much of the lineup away because I want some people to be surprised still. Uh, but what are a couple of names that you want to, you know, give us more anticipation with? You know, what are some names that are going to, just one name that will be there that will maybe tantalize people to come more? Uh well the new announcement we're gonna make this week he's mm-hmm. our he's our next wrestling announcement mm-hmm. uh, it hasn't hit the website yet uh but it's it's a very cool one he's uh, he's a a definite heel mm-hmm. that I grew up watching mm-hmm. and rooted against most of the time. Uh, was uh, Nikita Koloff. Oh, man. The Russian Nightmare. Yeah. You know? Uh, you saw him come out and always have the log chain around yeah. his neck. And uh, he he was something else. You yeah. know? Uh, you saw him uh, often uh, battle uh, Magnum TA or Dusty Rhodes. Uh, and... Uh, he wrestled uh, right up into the 90s, and he could have probably wrestled a lot later than that, oh, really. Yeah. I mean, he he was was built to be a monster, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, he was even billed a lot of times as, as the Russian road warrior, but uh, I, was, I was really pleased to get him booked for oh, the yeah. show. Yeah. And uh, when, we, uh, when we talked to him about booking him... Uh, uh, we surprised him. We uh, we asked to book him for both days, and he said, most people don't book me for both days. And he said, you sh- most people just book me for one. He said, you sure you want me for both? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's like, oh, okay. He's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll gladly be there both days. So That's cool. Uh, we've booked him for both days, and uh, we are... Uh, we're also working on some new stuff. We've got uh, some more stuff in the works. Uh, there's, uh, you know, a whole lot of uh, new wrestling promotions popping up, mm-hmm. and 
you know, there's uh, some big news about this new wrestling promotion that's getting a new TV deal. Yes, there is. Uh, We're very excited for that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's got a lot of big news. They're signing a whole lot of people, and uh, and we're hoping to have some uh, some representation from them very good, soon. Good. Yeah. Well, that's very tantalizing. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> we're in some talks with some people about that's them, great. So. Uh, speaking of wrestling, I see that the Cowboys coming. Yep, James Storm. Yep, we've got James on the schedule. Uh, we're big we've James got. Storm fans. Uh, Wildcat Chris Harris on the schedule. And Hornswoggle, everyone's favorite leprechaun. Yeah, yeah we've got Hornswoggle. Uh, we may have a scheduling conflict with him. We're trying to get worked out. Uh-huh. Um, and we're uh, we're working on uh, working with AEW. Mm-hmm. So, the Marble City, what are the dates? Marble City is November 16th and 17th. Okay. At the Sevierville Convention Center. Right off exit 407. Mm-hmm. It's about six minutes off of the exit, right behind the uh, Wilderness Water Park. I've been there a couple of times. Uh, my sister uh, played volleyball for yeah. LMU, and she also coached a, tra- a traveling like team. And uh, they every year they had their big uh, Sevierville Convention Center tournament. Yeah. Um, huge building. Great, yeah. Great, great access point uh, for. Many people, because it's not in the heart of Pigeon Forge to where there's traffic, you're just off the exit, and everyone can find it easily. Yeah, that that was the thing that really got me. When we decided to move, um, I'd looked at a lot of locations and a lot of, a lot of hotels with convention areas, a lot of uh, convention centers, mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to move to a nicer facility and... They had actually contacted me a couple of years ago. And I knew I did not want to move to downtown Pigeon Forge. I yeah. did, did not want to deal with traffic because I knew that was going to be a turnoff to attendees to have to fight traffic and things. Well, I lived there for five years, and it's the biggest turnoff yeah. to Pigeon Forge. And uh, so I went over there just to, just to see. Yeah. And I'd never been in that building. Mm-hmm. And, man, when I went in that thing, I was blown away. Oh God! I was blown away. The facility is absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has every modern amenity you can think of. Yeah. Um, free Wi-Fi. Um, we're going to have uh, an even bigger vendor floor than we had before. Mm-hmm. We have the full uh, ballroom area. We've got uh, multiple panel rooms for attendees for the panels. Uh, full PA systems in in every location, uh, fully stocked ATMs. We've got our own ticketing facility. We have multiple offices. Um, we have uh, special rigging systems for some of our special events that we're mm-hmm. doing uh, because we're going to have aerialists that are performing in the vendor room, hanging from the ceiling, doing. Wow. Special events, um, and uh, it it just it really works for everything we want yeah. to do there. Um, we met with the Chamber of Commerce over there, and they really want to work with us on making it a annual event and working with us on uh, uh, 
promoting it as part of their tourism package yeah uh, to other cities mm-hmm. as they promote to other cities so that was the thing that that really really got me was how open they were to us and what all we could do so uh, I'm really excited about it um, they they really wanted to to welcome us there yeah and I was I was so happy about that so uh, I was um, I was more taken with that facility than anywhere yeah. else that we looked mm-hmm. so I'm happy about that great and uh, if someone is wanting to get tickets uh, beforehand, uh, how would you suggest they do that? The best spot is go to our website at uh, www.marblecitycomiccon.com. It's C-O-M-I-C-O-N. Okay. Great. Great. And uh, the dates are November 16th and 17th, and uh, we are definitely excited to get to be there. Yeah. Uh, very thankful for you all and happy that you all are um, being in partnership and sponsoring the podcast and very thankful for that um, and before you go I have a gift for you awesome um, I like any, any guest that comes on the show um, you get a, a shirt that's a 30 and nerdy podcast awesome that I hope at some point you'll wear yeah and um, also a koozie for 30 and nerdy podcast uh, that's cool yeah yeah man thank you um, and we are excited we uh, hope that maybe next month you'll come back on yeah absolutely. and maybe update us a little bit more um, and uh, it's just it's been great sitting down with you yeah it's been it's been great I uh, I love to come on and uh, I can always talk about stuff we're having we're we'll have, an, we'll have a really big guest announcement that we'll be able to make next month that's great yeah it's going to be huge it's, it's really going to be huge and uh, so we can talk about that one. That, okay. That, that's going to be the biggest one we've ever had. So uh, I'll definitely be back for that one. And, uh, yeah, I really look forward to you guys being there. And you'll get to interview a bunch of the, the wrestlers that we have, yeah. have in stock. Very excited so, about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's um, going to be good. Uh, before we go, um, how long has Marvel City Comic Con been going? Um. Well, as Marble City, it's been uh, been going for uh, let's see, this will make our fifth year. Okay, and before that, you were before that we were a one day show. Okay, called Collector Showcase. I remember that, and we did that, that for three years. Okay, yeah, and we basically got to the point that the the hotel couldn't hold us anymore. Which is a good problem to have, <laughs> and uh, and we we had to move. They uh, we uh, we we got so tight at the hotel yeah. where you couldn't breathe. Yeah, and they said you you guys are going to have to either limit who comes or uh, move to a different space. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we'll just move to a different space. Yeah. And so when it if we're going to move, then we we're going to move and, and make it a bigger event. So. Yeah. Um, this one is, is probably going to be the biggest one we've ever done because um, of just everything that, that has fell into place this That's year great. with the new new facility and and new guests and everything. Yeah. And it's it's been great. We've been able to add some some really wonderful staff this year and um, 
that that's helped a whole lot. Some 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 people with some some great convention experience. Yeah, and because it is such a unique thing, you know, because it's it's hard to find people with with actual convention oh, yeah. experience. You know, that's just not, in this area. Yeah, yeah. Because it's still not blown up like an Atlanta or a you know San Con or yeah some, or even. You know, like a Toronto or something like that. Yeah, and so we found some people with some really good convention experience, and and that has helped. And um, with with the ability to do that, and the new facility, and the layout, and the the additional space, and everything, um, it, it's been wonderful. This That's awesome. this year's been wonderful. It it's it's going to be our biggest event we've ever had. So. Um, this is this has been new and improved Good. this year, so I'm I'm really excited. Well, like I said, we are very excited um, to uh, be a part of it, and uh, happy you got to sit down with us, and uh, can't wait to catch up with you next month. Yeah, man, I'm I'm glad to have you guys on board. All right, well, cheers to you, Shannon. All right, buddy, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Thirty and Nerdy Podcast with your hosts, Tyler McDaniel and Josh Davis. Brought to you by Encore Theatrical Company, Akiva Express, Creative Theater, and Advertising Expressions. Find us, follow us, and like us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit our website, 30andnerdypodcast.com. Got something to tell us? Drop us an email, 30andnerdypod at gmail.com. Until next time, cheers to you, nerds!